As Scott mentioned for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of just looking at the condition of the world we're in and making sense of the times in which we live. We've been trying to deal with how bad things happen in this world, where God fits in and all that, and where we fit in into that story as well. Today I have, this is good news and bad news. We've we've talked about you know, some of the ways that the world is like it is, what God does through that, and, and how we can react to that, and one of the reasons I think we sit here today, again, just uh, over this last week, as we hear about the shootings there in Texas, to find out that there is still more suffering, there's still unimagined evil and suffering because of things in this world and, and, and what's going on. And so I have some good news and some bad news to share with you this morning um, from the Word of God. The, the good news is, I think, things are going to get better. The bad news is... Things are going to get worse before things get better. This is kind of part of the reason that the world is in what it is. It's because the world is in this state of decay where sin continues to increase and decay continues to spread. And so things are quite literally running down and and it's, you know, not the best of news. Uh, I had a my uh, director in the camp. When I would be struggling with the, with my students, with those that were in my group, and we would go to seek seek help from him, he would always pull me off to the side and try to figure out what was going on with their group, so we could counsel with them. And you know, and I would be exasperated, I'd be frustrated, I'd be undone with the situation of the group. And he he had this famous saying, which was just always so encouraging to me when I'd come to him trying to keep on serving these kids that I was working with. He'd put his hand on my shoulder and he'd look at me in the eye and he'd say, Jason, don't worry. It's always darkest right before the bottom drops out. And that's how he would keep me going all the time. Well, we're going to kind of look at that situation in Matthew's gospel, the 24th chapter. We're going to read some passage here. Jesus is talking to his disciples and and they're looking and he's giving them really some some bad news about the condition of the world. And I think it applies to them and it applies to us as well. We'll pick up in verse four of Matthew 24. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. And they will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and mislead many. Because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the beginning of a larger section that we're only going to cover this 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 first about 10 verses of today where Jesus is talking about the the end of the age and the coming of the end of the age. And let me just give you a quick view of how people view this passage. Some people look at what Jesus is telling the disciples here as relating only to what's about to happen in their immediate lives. The fall of Jerusalem by 70 AD and that they will literally these people who are hearing this will actually be killed and be martyred and Jerusalem will be sacked and 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 
crushed by the Romans, and they think it only uh, applies to that. Some see this passage as only applying to the end of the age, what we would call the end of the world, and that Jesus is forecasting the complete end of the world. And then there are those like myself who see this as replying or applying to both. That Jesus is talking both about what's about to immediately happen in the immediate future in Jerusalem and the greater uh, end of the whole world. It seems to have multi-fulfillments. And, and with prophecy in the scripture, it, this, this multiple uh, fulfillment, this multi-view is pretty popular. That kind of seems the way the Bible does things. A, a quick example to show you what I'm talking about would be like from Hosea chapter 1 verse 1. In Hosea, the prophet says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Well, when Hosea is writing that, it's very apparent that he's referring to the exodus. When the children of Israel were called out of Egypt through the Exodus, you know, Moses and the Red Sea, and they moved out and to the, toward the promised land. But in Matthew's gospel, the second chapter, the 15th verse, Matthew says this was talking about when Jesus went down to Egypt, when he and Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt, and then they were there for a couple of years, and then they're called back out of Egypt to come back to Nazareth. And Matthew says this applied not to just the Hebrew children in the Exodus, but to Jesus when he came out of. So which is it? Yes, it's both. It's multiple fulfillments that apply to the same kind of prophecy. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here today for us. So the disciples are are wanting to quiz Jesus. They're wanting to know the question that if we are all honest, we all want to know. At least somewhat want to know. When's the end going to happen? When will it happen? What will be the signs of the end? Tell us when it's going to happen. Well, the other bad news is that Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He doesn't tell them when. But he gives them some other information, and I think that's a particularly important. And that it applied to them in their day and what they would face. And I think it also, because of the dual fulfillment, applies to you and I in the day in which we live or could live in. That as we see the drawing of the age, end of the age, whether it's our personal end of our age or the end of the whole world, some, some information that we can use to react appropriately to the times in which we live. The fact of the matter is the Bible kind of points out that there are going to be things that are that things are going to be kind of getting worse before they get better. We see these testimonies and we live in that world. And so how can we react in that world with some hope, some things that Jesus would want his disciples to do? Number one, I think we should be aware. It starts off in in the. Verse 4 says, see to it that no one misleads you. In this age in which we live, with, with the devastation that it is, that we should be aware. We should make sure no one is misleading us, leading us away. And so there's two things I'd like to point out how this happens. One, there's things for us to be aware of. So that we should be aware of misleading messages. I think there's messages in the Christian world today that simply are designed to mislead people. One that I would reference uh, in Jesus's day, it would have been the birth of Gnosticism. Those who claim Jesus wasn't really here in the flesh. That's what Jesus would have been talking about. That's what his these early disciples would have come in contact with was a, a whole new form of Christianity or 
quasi-Christianity or fake Christianity that would lead people astray. But we have misleading messages that are popular in our day. One called the prosperity theology or referred to sometimes as prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of success, which is a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessing, physical well-being are always the will of God for them. That faith, positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity to them. The doctrine emphasizes that the importance emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for his people to be happy. The atonement reconciliation atonement or which is reconciliation with God is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty, which is viewed as curses to be broken by faith. This is believed to be achieved through donations of money, visualization and positive confession and mental attitude. That it's based on the promise or the, the purpose that or the presumption that God just wants us to be happy. Well, when I look at scripture, I don't see God being particularly concerned about us being happy. He wants us to be holy more than he wants us to be happy. He wants us to have joy in whatever circumstances, but that's not necessarily, as we looked last week, even at some of the disciples in the prison, that's not necessarily happy circumstances. It's the joy in the face of whatever circumstances. And this has become a popular message in the day in which we leave, live, and it misleads a lot of people. Because when they run in to the circumstances that we are now faced with, they don't know what to do. It's, it's their fault. I don't have enough faith. The reason I'm suffering, the reason bad things are happening in my life is because of a lack of faith on my part. I've disappointed God. I'm not living up to my end of the bargain. I'm not carrying out the contract. So God's not carrying out his contract. And then they... See evil continue and they just give up on the whole thing because things aren't making them happy. And many people are misled by this misleading message. We also deal in our day with misleading messiahs. That there are, in, even within the Christian world and in our world, there's what I call this cult of personalities. That there are these famous people, our favorite teacher, that person that we love to listen to, that we bank so much on what they say. And we must be careful not to let these people become our messiahs. Not that that's what they want to be, but that we put our faith more in the person than in the message or in the scriptures. Let me give you a quick example. I was at a church one time who had just gotten through a 40 days purpose. This was back when 40, uh, the purpose driven church and purpose driven life was, you know, at the height of the zenith of its popularity. And I watched a man get up and come in front of his congregation. And he said this, he said, I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all inspired people and wrote some really good stuff. He said, but I stand here to tell you today, I think what Rick Warren has written in this book is just as inspired as anything those four men wrote. Yeah, that was the last Sunday we visited that church. I'm not kidding. Now, it's not Rick Warren's fault. 
Rick Warren wasn't out to do that. Rick Warren wasn't trying to set himself up some Messiah. That we set up our own false messiahs in our life. When we put too much faith in a person or the message that a person is putting in there, that we can set people up on pedestals. And they become our own messiahs. And we have to be careful because then we give them power that they don't want and they don't need. And so we must be aware of misleading messages and even our own tendency to to set up people and to start to follow people. I've seen this happen over and over and over in churches that people start to follow the person instead of the savior. And so my advice, like I will tell the kids here, is be aware. See that no one's me misleads you. Check what people tell you and what people say about God with the Bible. Always rely on God and the scriptures to be your Messiah and to be your message. And anything I say is only right if it lines up with what he says and what he teaches and what's in the scripture. Please check me and check everyone else so that we are aware, not misled. The second thing Jesus kind of tells the people is to to be courageous. He says, see to it that you're not frightened. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, and they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you and be hated by all nations because of my name. But see to it that you're not frightened. Okay, that's easier said than done. Let's just admit that when we start to hear about these things, when we're overcome with the information out there, not being frightened in the world in which we live in is becoming increasingly difficult. The fact of the matter is our world, the world in which we live in, preys on people's fears. They want us to be afraid because then they can control us. They can sell us the next thing they need to sell us so that we are prepared for whatever may happen. We can get this kind of insurance and we can get that kind of insurance. and we can. It's all based on your fears. You can make sure you invest in gold and silver and, and things that won't perish like paper money. So it plays on our fears. We live in a world that preys upon people's fears, always trying to offer them some security for something they're afraid of. This is what makes the world go around in our economic session in many places. And this is because of our fears driven. Even the popularity, if you drink this or you behave this or you dress this way, you can alleviate yourself of the fear of rejection or the fear of being unpopular. It's all based in some fear that we may have. And not only do we live in a world that preys on fear, we live in a world that promotes fear. I went through a really dark time in my life. Um, I've not struggled with depression or anxiety much in my life, but there have been a few times. And there was a time for about a year that that I was just overwhelmed with with just kind of this sense of dread. Like I got up every morning and I didn't want to put my feet on the ground. And it was just... Like, ugh, when I get in the car, I'm going to, I'm just going to hear more bad news. I got to evaluate my life and what was going on. And it was a time in my life that I was particularly addicted to talk radio. I just, I was just listening to it all the time. Every time I was in the car, I was constantly feeding myself on this kind of news input 
that quite honestly was nothing but this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. It was so overwhelming to me that, that all I could see was the darkness that is there. It's not that it wasn't true, but I just saturated my mind with everything I heard with this news. And I was just like overburdened by it, that, that it had promoted it to the place. And so one day I decided, you know what? I might just turn that radio off for a while. And in about a week, you know what? I was a happier person. Now, you might say ignorance is bliss, and I was blissfully ignorant, but I wasn't oppressed by fear and dread of a broken world. Hope had come back into my life because of just what I was careful and what I listened to. That, that I wouldn't want to be uninformed, but I didn't oversaturate myself with the bad that's out there. And if we do that, if all we hear and all we focus on is that, you will become oppressed by that fear and that dread. And so be careful how much information you take in, what much information. Make sure it's balanced, at least with some good news, at least with some joy, at least with some singing, at least with something that you can turn on in your car radio and Bless the Lord, oh my soul, you know, where you'll be sitting at the stoplight singing with all your heart and you look at the guy next to you and they're looking at you going, look at that guy singing over there. At least make sure you get some of that in your life or it will darken your spirit. So how can we live in this world unfrightened? The only way I really know is to have faith. John, first John five, four says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When we live in this dark world, we have to have faith that sees past the present to a future victory. We have to have, see, have faith that sees a God who's ultimately in control and who will handle things and take care of things. And we have to have a faith that sees that God in victory over this world and that good news is coming. Be courageous. See that you're not frightened. Faith in Jesus is where lasting courage comes from. This is the only way to have courage in the day. It's faith in Jesus who has overcome this world. Another thing we can gain from this information is to be expecting it says this, it says, for those things, all these evils, all these pestilences, this hatred must take place. But that is not yet the end. This is the course the world set itself on when Adam and Eve sinned, when it failed. This is a course of action that will bring us to the end. In John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Again, our faith in the overcoming one. But the awareness, the expectation that in this world suffering is real. It's part of the world in which we live in. Don't be caught off guard. First Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for the testing of your faith, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It says, expect this testing of your faith. Expect these things to be in your world. Don't get up and caught into this idea that God just wants you to be happy. And then when you're not happy, you're like, what's going on? Don't be caught off guard. Realize that you are enemies of this world. 
that you don't belong to this world, that you have an enemy who's out seeking your destruction, someone he may devour, that you don't belong to this world, that you, like those men of faith, belong to a different world, one yet to come, that you are passing through and there's your strangers and exiles. And so when they treat us like strangers and exiles and mistreat us, don't be surprised. But to the degree that you share in the suffering Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Be expecting that these things must take place and realize in faith that God knows that bad things are happening. He's not surprised. He's not unaware. He's not aloof and he doesn't. He cares. He doesn't not care. But he's there offering us a rock in the midst of our storms. Two, be discerning. He says this, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Now, I want to talk specifically about prophets and prophecy that Jesus seems to address that these prophets who are going to explain these things better than Jesus explaining those who will offer the answer that Jesus doesn't give us, particularly the when question will arise. One example that I'll give you is a name named William Miller. William Miller was in upstate New York. And he predicted that on October the 27th of 1844, the world would come to an end. He studied the scriptures. He came up with an answer. He figured it all out. And he got a whole bunch of people, over 50,000, to to join him and to prepare for that day when Jesus would come again. October the 22nd, 1844, becoming known as the Great Disappointment. You know why? Because Jesus didn't show up that day. Then Miller went back and figured out, oh, I made some calculation errors. I made some mathematical mistakes. And he predicted yet another day when it would happen. And guess what? It didn't happen that day. And if you study Millerism or the Millerites, you will find out that after a couple of failed attempts of of promoting and telling when Jesus would come back, explaining when it would be, what Jesus didn't even tell the disciples in this case, that many of the Millerites would end up leaving and going off uh, on a faith because it didn't work out. And so we must be careful. I just offered this. We want to know. We study. We pour over Revelation and Daniel. And we, you know, these these studies are the greatest. And we're always wanting to, to find out when, when, when. So that we can comfort ourselves with the idea of when. Just offer this advice. Be careful of those who got it all figured out. Because those who got it all figured out, I'm not sure they got it all figured out. I'll be honest with you, I don't have it all figured out. Because I don't think I'm supposed to have it all figured out. I read this passage in verse in Matthew 24, 42 and 44. It says this, Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Be, But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert. And would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Jesus' answer to the when question was, be ready. There's another B you can add to the sermon message today. That the, the idea is just be ready for him to come. Don't worry about when and be aware of those who will tell you all that you want to know. Those who got it all figured out. 
For me, Jesus told us all we need to know. Be ready. Be ready. Be discerning. Many false prophets will lead many. Trust Jesus in the Bible above all else. Even when it doesn't make sense and even when you don't have it figured out. Put your faith there. Be faithful. Because people's love, most people's love will grow cold. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. I want to use a quick example to explain what I think this passage is talking about. How many of you like iced coffee? Not a fan, not a fan. It's just not right. But we can debate that later. Imagine if you had a hot cup of coffee and you surround it in a bowl of ice. What eventually happens to the coffee on the inside of the cup? It becomes chilled. It, the, the ice, what it's surrounded by, pulls the heat out from inside the cup. Even though the ice and the coffee never mix, it never waters it down, it never changes it, but just the, the hot cup being surrounded by that cold ice will influence what's inside the cup. That's what is going on, I think, in the church today. That we're that hot cup and we're surrounded. It says, as because lawlessness is increased, because of the increase of the lawlessness around us in the situation we live, it starts to pull out the heat, the passion, the conviction, the dedication that's within inside the church. As we start to do two things, as we compromise and as we become casual with our faith, we start to let the heat and the passion of our love for God to be drawn out from us. Because we live in a world that kind of pulls on us and we compromise with that world and then we become casual about our faith in coming here. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, meaning he is number one and needs to be number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Be faithful to him. Love him with an everlasting love and faithful passion. And don't let the, the world that would suck that passion and that dedication and that conviction that we are surrounded by fight against that. Remain passionate. Don't be casual about your time in worship and your time in his presence and your time in prayer and your time in your scriptures. Don't get caught up to like I sometimes I gotta go to church today. Or I get to go to church today. I get to be with my fellow believers. I get to be in God's presence. I get to hear his word. I get to sing to him and make compromises with the world and like let the things go. Oh, we'll just let that go and we'll let that go and watch our passion and our dedication and conviction go along with it. Be faithful. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Make Jesus your number one love. And keep him number one. Fine. Be resolute. He says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Can you make this pact that Timothy. That, that Timothy was challenged to make by Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord your righteous judge will award on me. To me on that day. I believe this is part of what Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for. Guys, things are going to get bad. For these disciples, it would get really, really bad. They would be martyred. They would be hated. They would be turned over and tortured for their faith. Guys, it's going to get bad. But will you decide no matter what, 
I'm sticking with Jesus. I'm keeping the faith. I'm fighting the good fight. I will not give up no matter how bad it gets. This is a resolution that we must set for ourselves in this day because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I want to be there on that day when the righteous judge comes and it gets better and receive the reward for being one who endured to the end. Be resolute. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Stick with Jesus no matter what. This is the great testing and challenge of our faith. And the final thing, the real good news of this bad news story, be vocal. Be vocal. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Verse 14. After all this suffering, all this calamity, all this bad news, Jesus says, don't worry, the gospel And you know, some of you have been in Sunday school enough to know, what does gospel mean? The good news. The good news shall be preached. Through all this suffering, through all this tribulation, through all this distress, through all this turmoil, the good news will progress. The fact of the matter is, bad news prepares people's hearts for good news. It's in the moment when you lack hope that people want hope. As things get worse, people will be hungry for hope and good news. It is an opportunity for you and I to say, yeah, it's bad, but I know a good place. I know an answer. I know a savior from these bad times. Remember this, light always shines brightest when it's the darkest. It's in the darkness that the light shines. And it's these disciples Think about them. They would endure some of the harshest, worst times. Their martyrdom. They set a course through their devotion to the gospel. That the gospel would spread more during their suffering. That you and I are the results of how they spread the good news in the midst of their own suffering in the first century. Now, twenty century, uh, 2,000 years later, here we are. Products of them being light in their world. Matthew 5.14 says this. You are the light of the world. A town, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That in these moments of darkness, that we are the lighthouse. We get to shine the light of Christ, the gospel, the good news into a world out there that needs someone to guide them to salvation. And so as we endure the suffering, may we do it seeing that we're vocal about the spreading of the gospel. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ the Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks for you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That we're commissioned that in the midst of our suffering to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us. And so we must live in a world that's broken and messed up and fallen with hope. And then be ready to defend that hope to those who will ask with gentleness and reverence. Spreading the good news. Jesus passes out this passage. He's told his disciples what they need to hear so they can be prepared to endure the suffering that they're going to face. And I believe we can react the same way and be prepared 
to be ready and to endure the suffering we will face. And he closes with this. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whose master put him in charge of the household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his fat master finds so doing when he comes. So let us go and live in this world doing as our master has told us.